0: Anybody ever run into a, a road to nowhere? You run into a, a road to nowhere, a road that just kind of stops and doesn't go uh, anywhere beyond that? They're kind of strange things. You run into them every once in a while. Uh, maybe they ran out of things to see. You know, there's just nothing there anymore. Uh, sometimes you, you you can find a, a road to nowhere uh, because they they ran out of money, uh, or, or the money hasn't come yet, and so this is as far as they could pay for. Uh, sometimes it's a road to nowhere because the things that were supposed to be at the end of the road don't exist yet, and they haven't been built yet, and so it's not time for those things to be in place. And so every once in a while, we'll run into a road to nowhere. Now. Here's a little bit more of a transparent question. Do you have any roads to nowhere in your life? Something that began, something that looks great, nice, four-lane road. This is clicking. This is going. This is fantastic. I know where this is going. And then at some point in life, it either just kind of transitions to a narrower and narrower road until it's just a dirt path until it stops, or maybe it comes to an abrupt end. Do you have any roads to nowhere in your life? I have a few. Uh, I have a couple. Uh, I, I don't have pictures for these. Boy, it'd be a lot of fun if I had pictures for these. Uh, but uh, I, uh, I was once a Cub Scout. Prepared, you know, whatever, whatever that, loyal, all those kinds of things. Uh, but then, like six weeks later, my family moved, and I never really got reattached. And so for six weeks, I was, I was probably the greatest Cub Scout. In, in, in the world, but it, 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 came, it came to an end. Uh, I was a Little League baseball player. Oh, I loved baseball. I still love baseball, and so I played Little League baseball. I wasn't always very good. In fact, I, I was so bad that one time uh, the coach, I, I messed up so bad in the field, the coach was just so mad, he put me on the bench. Now, the problem was we didn't have any substitutes that day. Well, we had nine players, nine players, and he decided that he would rather play with eight and me on the bench. True, unfortunate story. Uh, It was at that point in time that I thought that it was better that I retire to spend more time with my family. Uh, I was nine years old, but I thought, you know, maybe I just need to step aside to spend more time uh, with my family. Uh, I I once was a, a tuba player. Yep, played tuba. Turned out wasn't as big of a chick magnet as I thought it was going to be. And so I put that aside as well. I was once a stamp collector. Now that I have no apologies for. I don't know who, is there any stamp collectors here? And Anyone? I mean, like, really? Man, you're going to have to explain that to me because, man, that just seems like that was of all the things I've set aside, that was one of my better decisions. Uh, these are things that, that I started. This is who I am. And then, you know what? It's just not true anymore. Now, that's okay. Okay. Because there are different things that in life that we try on, that we try out. We see whether this fits. We we see whether this really resonates with me, whether this really connects with me, whether this really expresses who I am. And so uh, some of those things, we try on something, and then we try something different, and we try uh, something different. Uh, Sometimes we just find that there's something that's better that comes along. Sometimes some obstacles come uh, across our path, and it's like, you know what, I wanted to keep doing that, but it, it just... things got in the way. Uh, Some things, there's just a season for it, and we outgrow them. I mean, I would look like a very silly 51-year-old Cub Scout. Uh, And I think if I showed up, that they would not let me in, in the building because you just outgrow those kinds of things. But there are some things in life that we are not meant to outgrow. There are some things in our life that we are supposed to pick up and they are supposed to stick with us for an entire lifetime. Which brings us back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. You see, when we looked at the beginning of this chapter, we looked last week at this celebration of this incredible beginning of the faith journey of the church in Thessalonica. Paul says, I celebrate what God has done in your midst. He says, when the gospel came to you, you received it in word, and you received it in power, and you received it in the Holy Spirit, and you received it with firm conviction. Talk about a great story. Start to your spiritual journey it was awesome and in fact some of you can probably relate to that as we talked about that last week as we read it again this morning sometimes you can take a look at that and say oh man when I started my faith journey it was great I it came in word and there was power and I, and I knew that I was different and I could feel the, the dwelling of the Holy Spirit in my life and I knew what I knew what I knew and I believed it and it was great But here's the question for the church in Thessalonica. Just because you have a great start, do you have the ability to maintain that over the passage of time? Remember, for the church in Thessalonica, there was Paul. He had a very brief time in that city where he was preaching to them and teaching them, but he got run out of town. And so that church, that group of believers, was left on their own. They had a great start. But will their faith journey be a road to nowhere? Or does their faith journey have a future? I think sometimes that can kind of make us gulp a little bit and say, man, I'm so grateful for this start in my life spiritually, but but is there a next chapter? How, How do I know that I can keep this going? Well, here's the good news this morning. Here's the good news this morning that I want you to know. God has not only provided for your salvation, but he has also provided for your lifelong discipleship. He has not just laid the road for you to begin the journey, but he has laid the road for you to complete the journey. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, as we look at your word, as we hear your voice, as we submit to your spirit Lord, as we bring our fears, our curiosities, Lord, our frustrations to your word, Lord, I pray that you would fill in all of the places that need to be filled in this morning. And Lord, I pray that we would receive this, not just as a pastor's sermon or words on a page, but as the very voice of God for our lives today. We pray this in your name. Amen. The church in Thessalonica is celebrated because their faith has a future. It was going to make it past those opening days. It did make it past those opening days. So how can we make sure that our faith moves past the opening days of our relationship with Christ. Here are some things that I want you to see inside this passage of Scripture. I want you to know that we have a future faith when we learn from others. We have a future faith when we learn from others. If you take a look here at verse 5 in chapter 1, verse 5, the beginning of it talks about uh, the fact that it says um, because the gospel came to you not only in word, but in power and the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. That is that beginning point, that supernatural beginning of their journey with Christ. And then the verse almost just kind of jumps When I read it, it feels like it jumps like, where did this sentence come from? It's because this next sentence is the next step in their journey. It says, and you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. You see what Paul is saying, listen, the first thing that you needed is a powerful, profound, supernatural encounter with Jesus Christ through the Spirit of God that comes to you. He says, but the next thing that you have is that you have people who will be in your life that will teach you and instruct you and help build you up. He says you know the kind of people that we proved to be in your life. You see, every single one of us needs teachers in our lives that will give us spiritual instruction. And that's a big part of how we structure our church. We want to be many different things, but we want to be a church that is effective in preaching and teaching and revealing the Word of God to you. You see, every person begins their spiritual life with really on one side of their life the list of things that they do not know and the list of things that they do know. And for almost every person who begins their spiritual journey, the list of what they do not know is infinite and what they do know is infinitesimal. There's almost nothing there, but as we grow in our faith, God plants us and calls us to put our lives under people who can help us move from this list of things that I do not know to things that I begin to know. In fact, that's part of what we do here in the life of the church is that we build our worship service around the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. The design of this building is designed so that not only do we have a central place here for worship and preaching and teaching, but all the way around this building are classrooms because we believe in these classrooms, in these small group settings. That's where we study and engage and encounter with the Word of God. And some of you have been in some of those classes, and some of you ha- have been in some of those Bible studies where there, there are moments where the pieces start to come together and you begin to say, wait, wait, that's how that's connected here? And you begin to see all the parts of the Word of God connected with each other. You begin to see how the Word of God is connected to our lives because someone teaches you and you put yourself under the teaching and instruction and discipleship of another person. But the emphasis here that Paul is making, he says, these are the kinds of people, the kinds of men that we proved ourselves to be. You see, that's an important element to that because one of the challenges of being alive today is that we have bombarding us every kind of idea, teaching, theology, point of view, opinion that exists in the universe. That's what the internet is. It is a collection of every thought that has ever occurred ever. And it all comes at you at once and says, believe me, listen to me. So how do you as a believer, as a new believer in your faith, how do you determine okay, what things am I supposed to listen to and which things do I believe? Paul says, listen, we were present in your life and you had the ability to test us. Now I want you to see some of the ways in which they were able to test Paul. One of the things They were able to test Paul how he responded in difficult situations. Remember, he gets run out of town. He arrives in Thessalonica because he was run out of town in Philippi. He is thrown out of the synagogue. He is thrown out of the city. There is an almost instantaneous rejection of Paul. And they can begin to watch and say, okay, how does he handle life when it's hard and it goes against you? and so you can watch and see how does this person handle stress and strain that they also tested Paul because they could test his godliness in verse 6 it says and you became imitators of us and of the lord now how do you do that how can Paul say be an imitator of us and of Jesus Uh, which one is it Paul are we supposed to imitate you or are we supposed to imitate Jesus well the answer to that is we only imitate Paul or anyone else if they are imitating Jesus that's the measure that we do. It's not someone who sounds the best. It's not someone who looks the best. It's not someone who has the most compelling idea. We begin to say, but listen, does what they say match with what Jesus says and does their life match with what Jesus says? In our church, when we talk about discipleship, we talk about joyfully embracing the patterns, the priorities, and the purpose of Jesus. Paul embrace those priorities, those patterns, the purpose of Jesus. And as he is embracing those things, that's the kind of person that you follow. You have to be able to say, are they living more like Christ? Has it shaped their life? There's one other test that I would say in terms of teaching ministry is that there needs to be a servant spirit Paul says at the end of verse 5 here, he says, You know the kind of men that we proved to be among you for your sake. Now you see, Paul understood that he existed in ministry, he existed in life, he existed in Christ so that he could serve other people. If you ever come across preaching, teaching, ministry that is di- designed for all of the people <laughs> to serve the leaders That's a toxic environment. The leaders, the spiritual instructors are designed and called upon to have the same spirit of Christ that served others. And so they bear up under hardship. They look like Christ. And they have the same servant spirit that Christ has. They are there to serve the people that God has put them in front of. Not every person who calls themselves a spiritual teacher or leader or instructor matches those areas. And I will tell you that our church is not a perfect church. You already knew that. You had your suspicions when you walked in. I mean, we can't even keep it from raining on Sundays. Uh, you you, You know that we're not a perfect church, and this is not a perfect pastor. We're not a perfect staff. But I will tell you, it is our striving that the pastor, the staff, the deacons, our Sunday school teacher, anyone that is put in a place of spiritual leadership in this place, that we can stand up under hard times. That when you follow us, you are following Christ. Because we're chasing after Christ with everything that we have. And that we have a servant spirit. And so I would encourage you to find a church like this one. Not perfect. But who is committed to Christ. Anchored in the word. And is consistently trying to live out what we preach in our own lives. We have future faith. When like the church in Thessalonica did, we find people that we learn from who teach us the word so that we can know what it is that we believe. I would also tell you that we have future faith when we live out our faith. When we live out our faith. Here in verse 6 he says, and you became imitators of us and you became imitators of the Lord. Imitation, mimicking is really one of the most basic ways of learning and teaching. We have a bunch of teachers in the life of our church here, and you would probably agree with me. I hope it'll make the illustration awkward if you disagree with me. But, but the easiest, the best way to teach is to say, "Watch me, and do what I'm doing." In fact, it is so basic that really, as parents, it's what we did without even realizing what we were doing. We taught our kids to walk. By watching us walk. Now we encouraged them. We we taught them how to feed. We we gave them a little bit of instruction. But basically the biggest things they were learning. Were the things that they were watching from us. And that they copied for themselves. And began to do. A couple of weeks ago. uh, We were hanging out with our adult kids. And I don't know how the topic came up. uh, But one of them said. Man the other day. It just kind of set me back. agreed when we drive we look just like dad why because they imitate it there was no season of instruction okay kids when you're we driving you do this uh, you know when you're texting you that's no, not how we did that um, and that's not what they meant but, um, but there's just it's soaked in because they watch it and they copy it anybody here a Bob Ross fan you remember Bob Bob Ross, here we go. Love, love Bob Ross. Um, as you see, Bob Ross up there, man. No one has ever flipped past Bob Ross when they're surfing the channels. I mean, if you hit on Bob, you, you stop and you watch him uh, for at least 10, 12 minutes. He, he just kind of tells you how to paint these things, and he shows you how to do these things, and it starts with this blank canvas, and, and just, he's not even paying attention, it seems like. He's painting, and he does this, and he, and he just kind of smooths things out, and, and he does this. like, whoa, how did he do that? You know, there are, there are websites today that stream Bob Ross videos 24 hours a day. People just like to watch and listen to Bob. And and Bob wants you to know that you can paint just like him. Now, I'm going to tell you, if you sit there and you take out a notepad and you start taking notes on Bob, okay, when you get to this point, this is what you do. When you get to this, you're never going to be the kind of painter that he is. If you want to become a painter, it doesn't matter how much you watch Bob you eventually have to get a brush and some paint and a canvas and you've got to put that brush on the canvas if you ever want to make some happy little trees knowing it, watching it listening isn't enough at some point in time you've got to imitate it you've got to take it yourself you've got to put it in place Now, what does this look like for the church in Thessalonica? Man, Paul came out of nowhere, short period of time, transformed their understanding of all the deep things in life, taught them about God, taught them about who the Messiah is, taught them about sin, taught them all of those things. They gathered that knowledge, but at the same time, they had to learn what they're supposed to do. Think about it. They had to learn how to pray. So how did they do that? They watched Paul pray and they listened to him pray and then they began to pray themselves. And They watched Paul take open the Old Testament scriptures and understand the Old Testament scriptures and show where Jesus is the fulfillment of those Old Testament scriptures and they began to pick up copies of God's word themselves and begin to study it for themselves and begin to be able to say, hey Paul, I found one of those spots myself. They began to learn how to respond to all of the animosity and hatred that they received and respond to that in love because they watched Paul do it. And at different times when they faced that opposition and that hardship, their natural response was to make a fist. I said, now wait a minute. What we watched Paul do in this moment, what he's told us that Jesus did in this moment and they began to try it out for themselves and mimic that for themselves. And they began to watch Paul, how he shared the story of Jesus. And then they began to share the story of Jesus. They watched Paul, how he took his resources and shared it with the people around him. And they began to share with the people around him. They watched Paul trust God that even though the hard thing that they were in the middle of in this moment seemed overwhelming, they watched Paul trust that God's long-term plan was better than my immediate wish. And so when they began to face hardships and difficulty, they learned how to trust as well. Now that has to happen, that we move it from a collecting of ideas to say, okay, let me try. You know, we go through that list. There's probably several of those things on that list. You know, I don't, I don't know how to do that. I, I don't want to do that. If someone were ever to call on me to pray, and I couldn't do that. Uh, I don't know how to rearrange my financial life so that I'm sharing out instead of just looking how to receive in. I don't know how to respond to hatred with love. I don't know how to do that. I couldn't. But we have a future faith when we begin to say, I don't know exactly how this goes, but I'm going to take someone that I've seen do it, and I'm going to do it as close to what they did and begin to apply that in life. We have a future faith when it moves from our head to our hands and to our actions and to our feet. It's not just collecting information, but it is time. Do it. You've watched it. Do it yourself. I would also tell you that we have a future faith when we leave behind our old lives when we leave behind our old lives. What is interesting in this passage of Scripture, just the section that we're looking at here, verses 5 through 10, you could really kind of summarize it, and I think that the church in Thessalonica would understand this if you just summarize this and say, you watched us, you copied us, and they're like, yeah, that's true. We, we, we watched you and we copied you, and then it says, you surpassed us. I'm sure the church in Thessalonica, is like, what are you talking about? Surpassed us. You're... You're Paul. You're the most knowledgeable person on earth about the things of Jesus. Nobody understands the Old Testament Scriptures like you understand the Old Testament Scriptures. You're the person who has stood up against so many different things. You've been imprisoned so many different times. We have surpassed you. What are you talking about? That's an impossibility. But I love what it says here in this passage. What it says here is that, listen, you received this through the word and in power and the Holy Spirit and with firm conviction. And then you became imitators of us and imitators of the Lord. And then it says, and now you are an example for all of Achaia and all of Macedonia and for the entire world. He says the entire world is talking about your faith. He says we get there and we want to tell them and say, hey, you check out what's happening at Thessalonica. We've heard. Now how on earth can my faith, can their faith, how on earth can your faith surpass the influence and the impact of someone like the Apostle Paul? Verse 9 tells us how. They are talking about the fact that you turned from serving idols to serving the living and the true God. You see, Jesus doesn't just call us to something, He calls us away from something. And what happened in the lives of this church in Thessalonica, even in the little bit that they knew, even in the little bit that they understood, even in their experience, one of the things that happened immediately in their life is that they were changed, and who they used to be is not who they are anymore. And the things that captivated their life, the thing that they built their life around, the things that they worshiped their life around, the things that they depended on, they walked away from and began to follow Jesus, and it transformed the very core of who they are. And listen, when you turn your life from who you used to be into who Jesus wants you to be, it is remarkable. And people will notice. And it will encourage other believers. It will encourage other believers in this church. It, 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 It will create curiosity in your neighbors. It will give opportunities for you to speak forth the truth of who Jesus is. A transformed life that leaves behind your past has profound, profound impact. In fact, it's such a natural thing for your life to be changed and for it to resonate. That the only way that that doesn't happen is if we allow our faith to simply be a bumper sticker on the back of our car, a profile statement on Facebook, and a Sunday morning habit of showing up to a building on Sunday mornings. That's just the surface. That's just the veneer. And I want you here on Sunday morning. But that's not what we're talking about here. This is talking about who you are has been transformed into who you are today. Those believers walked away from their worship of those idols and began to follow Jesus with everything inside of their life. And that reprogram their life from top to bottom, from inside to outside. And it makes their faith alive. Let me tell you the fastest way to get yourself on a spiritual road to nowhere is to have a new identity in Christ and stay stuck in your old life. That will leave you stalled out spiritually. Spiritually. It will steal you and rob you of the spiritual joy that you're supposed to have in Christ. To have Jesus transform you and for you to just stay stuck where you used to be. He saved you to something and he saved you from some things. And there are some things in your life that you need to get away from. They don't belong in the life that Jesus has given you. It's what he was saving you from. Stop living in those places. Leave behind what he's called you to leave behind. So what does this mean for our lives this week? How how do we apply this? Well, uh, there's just a handful of things that that I would say to you. One, I, I would encourage you to find your place in the line. To find your place in the line. What I mean by that is that there needs to be some people in front of you that you are following, being mentored by, discipled by, being taught by, and you follow them, you watch them, you listen to them, you're instructed by them. Make sure that there are some disciplines in your life, that there are some people who are pouring knowledge, that there are some processes that you are being taught by, and make sure that you can see those folks and you can reach out to those folks that are there in front of you. But I would also remind you that there are some people behind you. And it's really our spiritual responsibility to be leaving some breadcrumbs behind so that the people who are behind us can follow us. Now you may think, well, I don't necessarily know that they're supposed to be following me. Listen, follow Christ in your life and you will be worth following. Make sure you're in line. There should be some people in front of you and there should be some people behind you as well. I would say to you, brace for some opposition. We're going to talk about this in the weeks ahead because 1 Thessalonians is going to talk about some hardship. And in fact, it's here in the middle of verse 6 that the the title for this sermon series comes. It says, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction... With the joy of the Holy Spirit. That's why we say it's the struggles and joys of fresh faith. I really wanted to make it the joys and struggle of fresh faith. I thought that was more positive. But verse 6 says the hardships and the joy. And so we want to measure and reflect what that says. Listen, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, (laughs) this is a world that is pushing back against that. It's a culture And I don't just mean America and all that stuff. I mean every time and place around the world and throughout history, those who have lived their lives for Jesus have had pushback and friction. And we're going to have that same thing. And so just don't be surprised if when you push forward with Christ that there's not a little bit of pushback. I think I remember when I was a young man I was kind of naive. I had been taught so many things, I said, "Listen, if you do the right things, the right things will happen." And I came to this belief that said, "If I always do the right thing, I won't have any difficulties." Oh, it didn't take long for that to fall apart. In fact, if you do the right thing, sometimes you get bonus difficulties. It's true that we have to endure the hardship with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So brace for some challenges. And then I would just say to you, man, if you find yourself face to face with one of your old idols, turn away. Turn. Now, we, we don't have graven images like they used to have on the street corner. There'd be this idol and you'd bring some food to it or bring an offering to it. But I will tell you that we still live in a culture that worship things, that chases after things. We still live in a world that reaches out to all different kinds of things to depend on those things. We still have plenty of things that are markers, reminders, and symbols of our old life. And, and I doubt that there's going to be a single one of us this week that doesn't find ourselves face-to-face with something that we used to worship, that we used to chase after, that we used to depend on, that used to define who we are. And sometimes we talk about comfort foods. You just eat those things and it's like, oh, I just feel so much better with the, the, the old things. And don't let those idols be a creature comfort for your life. Just because you used to worship it, chase it, depend on it, be defined by it. If you find yourself in one of those things turn from those idols afresh and turn to the living and the true God. One more piece that I want to mention quickly It is possible that you never began a spiritual walk with Jesus because you were afraid that it would be a road to nowhere. Not so much that God would let you down, but that you would let God down. You didn't want to be a follower of Jesus like you were a Cub Scout or a tuba player or a Little League baseball player. You didn't want it to be something that you did for a little while and then it just kind of fell apart. And so because of that, you've kind of held back from saying yes to Jesus because you don't feel like you can guarantee how it ends. Man, here's what I need you to know this morning. He guarantees how it ends, not you. He has given you everything that you need for salvation. And he's given you everything that you need for lifelong discipleship.